Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. And Lord, you have been faithful through it all. You have shown yourself to be powerful and to be loving and to be merciful and to be kind. And we are so thankful, Lord, because your kindness leads us to repentance. Your kindness draws us unto yourself where we would turn away from our life of sin and surrender ourselves to your lordship and your leadership in our lives. And so, Lord, yet again, recognizing your amazing character, your steadfast faithfulness, Lord, we turn again to you. And we pray that through your word and by your Holy Spirit who is in this place, that, Lord, you would transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when this experience comes to an end and we go back out into the world, that we would be more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, today, as I mentioned, we're going to look to Jesus' mom for some lessons that she teaches us. And we're going to frame it within the context of godly motherhood. But I got to tell you, if you are in church today or you are tuning in because mom or grandma wants you to be here, this will apply to you and me as well. And so we really learn from Mary what it is to trust and follow God in a way that blesses not only your own life, but blesses the world around you. And that's really our goal, isn't it? We want to receive God's blessing and then pass that along to everyone around us. Well, that's exactly what Mary did. I'll have to tell you, it wasn't always easy. And for those of us who went to the Holy Land, we just came back. And one of the things that happens when you go, and I think you should go, yes, you too, I think you should go. All right, put it on your list and at some point, go. But one of the things that happens is you, is you see the context in which all these great things happen, and it, it's, it's an eye-opening experience. It is a paradigm-shifting experience. And so I want to bring you some of that context that we receive. Now today, we're going to Luke chapter 1. And if you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the room, that is page 855. So you can go ahead and turn open to Luke chapter 1, page 855 in the Red Pew Bible. We'll get there in just a second. But let me kind of paint the picture for you of what the difficulties were that Mary faced as she was seeking simply to be faithful to God's call on her life. You know, God had a unique call on her life, and he has a unique call on your life and on my life. And our call will not look like Mary's call. But the call for all of us is to be faithful. And it doesn't mean that in being faithful to God's call that it will always be easy. So go with me in your mind to the little town of Bethlehem. Now, the little town of Bethlehem today is a town of about 200,000 people, so it's not quite so little. But go with me there to Bethlehem and go with me to the shepherd's fields. Now, these are the fields where the shepherds used to keep watch over their flocks at night. And what you notice is they are on a huge hillside overlooking Bethlehem, but also with an amazing sky spread out before them. You know, it would be a great place for angels to show up. And the Bible tells us that they did. And so while the shepherds were there, the angels appeared and they proclaimed to them the coming of Messiah, that Jesus had been born. 
Well, one of the things that you notice at the shepherd's fields is you learn the context into which Mary and Joseph would have traveled in those days. See, homes in Bethlehem in that time, in the first century, were most often made in caves. A lot of caves around there. And so you can actually descend the shepherd's fields and go into one of these caves that was a home for people. And this is not the place where, where Mary and Joseph went, but this is a perfect example of what this looked like. And so you descend into a cave. And I'm going to tell you, descending into that cave is not easy if you're in great shape and feeling great. I cannot imagine what it must be like if you are in your ninth month of pregnancy. But they, they would have gone to stay with relatives. That's the way it worked back then. And so the word that we translate into in is, is katalumo, and it really means lodging place. They were looking for relatives, however distant they may be, where they could stay in a room in their house. Well, the problem was there were no lodging places available. So it's not like the innkeeper turned them away. No, they just did there was not a place to stay except Within these first century homes, there was a lower level. There was a lower level to the cave, and that's where they would keep the animals. It provided easy access to your livestock, but it also provided heat and smells from the animals into the home. And so you would have a mutually beneficial relationship between you and the animals that were in the lower portion of your home. And this cave that we went into had a lower portion where the animals would have been kept. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I've been with my wife through two moments of childbirth. I'm good, okay? We were in the medical center both times. Beautiful, wonderful. The amenities were phenomenal. Childbirth was still hard, and that's just from a witness's perspective. I cannot imagine what Mary went through in a cave that may or may not have been filled with livestock, giving birth in a busy, bustling city with people who've had to go there because the government needed to count them. Everybody was probably in a really good mood, don't you think? And that's where Mary went, and she delivered her baby, our Savior. What's interesting is when we look at nativity scenes and we see the, the manger, we usually see something that, that looks a little rustic but pretty plush. You know, mangers were nothing more than feeding troughs, and every manger that we saw in the Holy Land was made out of stone. And so Mary gives birth in a cave that smells like a bunch of animals that may or may not have been in there with her. And then the only place she can lay her baby is in a feeding trough that I'm sure Joseph did his best to get cleaned out, but it was still a feeding trough. Next time you're out at the farm, go to where they're feeding the animals and take a look and say, how much would you enjoy laying your newborn in that setting? You know, Mary was obedient to her calling by Almighty God, but that didn't mean it was always easy. But, but then go with me from Bethlehem over to Jerusalem. Go with me from the church of the nativity in Bethlehem that marks the spot where they believe Jesus was born to a different church. This time, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that's just outside the city gates during the second temple period, first century. The Mary and Joseph, when they had their baby, they took him to the temple because they were good Jews and they were fulfilling what God had called them to do. And so they took him to the temple to present him. And there in the temple was an old man named Simeon. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting to see the Messiah. 
And when he saw the baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph, his heart sang within him. And he gave Mary a prophecy, but it was a foreboding prophecy. This is recorded in Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Listen to this. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. And what is listed there is a parenthetical notation in Simeon's words to Mary and a sword will pierce your own soul also, is memorialized in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre because that's where the majority of Christians believe that Golgotha was. And you can go to a chapel that surrounds that rock that has been encased in glass. And they believe there is the spot where Jesus was crucified. And we remember that John tells us that Mary was at the cross. Mary was at the cross. Mary watched her son bear the weight of her own sin and all of our sin, too, there upon the cross. There was nothing she could do. The Bible even tells us that, that Jesus interacted with his mother and John from the cross. And there she was. She was there. You know, all the other disciples, all of his friends, they had scattered, but the women were there, and mom was there. Mom was there, loving, praying for, supporting her son in the worst moment of his life, when his life was being poured out unto death. She was there. She was fulfilling her calling, and it, it wasn't only not easy, it was excruciating. You know, that's the only word we can use for that to really describe what that is. And in fact, that word etymologically comes from the cross, excruce, out of the cross. Jesus's pain was excruciating, but so was Jesus's mom's pain. But she was there. She was loving her boy as he died for her and for all of us. But the good news is the story doesn't end in Golgotha, and the story doesn't end in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Golgotha. You can look at the stone where they believe Jesus was taken down from the cross and his body was laid out in preparation for his burial, and then you can go a few meters away, and you can go to the place that they believe was the tomb of Jesus. There's a huge mini chapel around it called an edicule, and you can go into that place, and you can look upon that tomb, and here's the great news. That tomb's empty. There's no body of Jesus lying in a tomb. There's no ossuary holding his bones. Why? Because on the third day, very early in the morning, when the women went to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away and Jesus was alive. Now, we don't have specific uh, scripture that tells us about the interaction of Jesus and her resurrected son, but we do know this, that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, when they were all gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, where many of us have been, they've been gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem, after Jesus has ascended, Jesus' mom was there because she was still going to live out her faith in a way that would bless the world. Gathered there with all the disciples were the women who had followed Jesus, and, and Luke mentions Mary specifically. 
and she's there. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the promise of Jesus comes, and the Spirit fills them and overflows from them so that the gospel goes out in all these different languages that they previously didn't know, but God is communicating his gospel to the ends of the earth right there in Jerusalem. Mary's there, and she is living out her faith in a way that is blessing everyone around her. What a lesson. Well, to get to Bethlehem and to get to Jerusalem, we first have to go to Nazareth, and that's where I want us to go. Go with me to the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. And I want to give you this theme. Mary teaches us that the heart of a godly mother can rest in God. The heart of a godly mother can rest in God, and here's how she teaches us this. What is memorialized in the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth is the place where Gabriel came to Mary. The angel, a messenger of God, coming to Mary to tell her, this is God's plan for you. And what we're gonna see revealed in Mary's interaction with Gabriel, who had interacted previously with Daniel, who had interacted previously with Mary's relative Elizabeth, who's now interacting with Mary, we're going to see revealed the character of Mary that allowed her to trust and follow her God all the way to Bethlehem, all the way through Jesus' life that resulted in them going from Bethlehem to Egypt then back to Nazareth and then to Jerusalem to watch him die and then for him to be raised from the dead and that would lead her to an upper room where the Holy Spirit would be delivered and and the gospel would go out. What her son had accomplished would would bless the world such that 2,000 years later, here we are today, We're going to learn what it is to rest in God. So if you're a mom, we're going to learn from Mary that a godly mom can rest in God. And if you're not a mom, like me, I'm not a mom, we're going to learn from Mary that a godly person can rest in God. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Luke, the physician, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Our first point today is this, the heart of a godly mother rests in God's presence. The heart of a godly mother rests in God's presence. On the front of your bulletin is a picture of where this happened. This is, this is the Church of the Assumption. This is the bottom level of it. This is the Grotto of the Assumption, and there under that altar is, is what they believe to be preserved the home uh, that Mary grew up in. And under that altar is the spot that they believe Gabriel visited with Mary. Pretty unbelievable to be there. But what happened there is pretty unbelievable too. Gabriel, this messenger of Almighty God, shows up to Mary and he says to her two things. Number one, that she is favored. And number two, that the Lord is with her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The word that he uses comes from the Greek keratao, which means to make graceful or to endow with grace. And this is what it means. It means highly favored as a result of being receptive to God's grace. 
highly favored as a result of being receptive to God's grace. Mary was receptive to God's grace in her life. Mary was receptive to the work of God in her life, even if that meant receiving something from God that she didn't understand in the moment. But she was highly favored. This word appears only one other time in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And in, in Ephesians, what Paul is communicating using this word is that God has adopted us as sons through Christ and that God has guaranteed our inheritance by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And the inheritance is the presence of God himself. So again, what is this word communicating? You're favored. Why? Because God is with you you. That if you're in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. You have received the ultimate favor of God. His presence is with you. You are now the temple because he rests and dwells within you. And if God is within you, then you can find true and lasting rest in him. It's it's the same thing that God communicated to Joshua. You remember They were getting ready to go into the promised land. We sang about it this morning, going across the Jordan into that Canaan land. Moses had led them for the last 40 years in the wilderness, but now Moses was dead. And Joshua would be the one to lead God's people across the river Jordan into the promised land. And Joshua was scared. I love the fact that the Bible communicates real things about real people in real life and in real time. Joshua was scared. He's going to be the one to lead God's people across the Jordan into that place that God began promising to this people back when Abraham was alive. That's been a long time ago at this point, 600 years. And that promise has passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the tribes on through periods of slavery in Egypt. And now, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, having seen the mighty hand of God bring them out of slavery, God is going to extend his mighty hand yet again to take them into the land that he promised six centuries ago, and Joshua's in charge. He's nervous. But what does God say to him? Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. And what is the one reason, what is the one reason that God gives Joshua that he shouldn't be afraid? It's not that they have a great and vast army. It's not that they have wonderful technology. It's not that they've got a great battle plan. The one and only reason that God gave to Joshua that he should not be afraid was this. I'm with you. And as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Be strong and courageous. It's the same thing that Jesus communicated to his disciples there before his ascension in Matthew chapter 28. He gives them the great commission that they are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded. And then he says this, behold, I am with you. When? Always. How long? Till the end of the age. In other words, forever and ever and ever. Amen. So if you're struggling to find rest in your life, you can find rest in God. Why? for the same reason that Mary was able to rest in what God was telling her. God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. If you are in Christ, there's no greater favor you can receive than the presence of God who is with you always, and he is with you. And he will not let you go. So rest is possible in him. Mary 
was able to find rest in God because Gabriel told her, the Lord is with you. Look with me now at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall be called, or you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Our second point. The heart of a godly mother trusts in God's plan. The heart of a godly mother trusts in God's plan. First point, heart of a godly mother rests in God's present. Second point, presence. Second point, heart of a godly mother trusts in God's plan. What is God communicating here? Mary, you're getting ready to have a baby. That baby is going to be the fulfillment of the entire Hebrew scriptures you've been reading and studying your entire life. Everything you've learned in the synagogue, it's all getting to come to fruition. All of the promises of God are going to find their yes in your baby boy. Mary was troubled. How's this going to work? She needed to know the details. How many of you have a mom in your life that needs to know the details? My children have a mom in their, in, in, has a, my children have a mom in their lives that is really good at keeping the details in order. Mary's troubled at the saying, why? She's going to need some details. But what is God communicating through Gabriel? God has a plan. And this plan has been in the works for a long time. And now it's going to be enacted. See, you're going to have a baby, and his name is going to be Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua, coming from Yehoshua. And that name itself communicates what this baby's going to do. Yahweh saves. That's what the name Jesus means. Yahweh saves. And this child will sit upon the throne of his father David. And so go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 in your mind, Mary. And remember that you were taught that God made a promise to David. When David wanted to build a house for God, God said, no, I'm going to build a house for you. And upon your throne will sit one, and his kingdom will never end, no matter what, forever and ever and ever. Amen. And now, Mary, this is all coming to fruition through you. She didn't understand the details, but what did she understand? God has a plan, and I'm a part of his plan. And while I can't wrap my mind around all the details of his plan, I'm going to submit myself to his lordship in my life because I know that God has a plan. And you know, how many times in life do we have to wander through moments where we feel like, isn't there a plan? What is it? And what's amazing about our God is he may not give us the details of the plan. He just calls us to trust him that there is one. And he's working everything together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So trust him and follow him. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Pretty good question, really. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Our third point, the heart of a godly mother knows that God has a path, or if you can fit it on your blank, a pathway. The heart of a godly mother knows that God has a path. The heart of a godly human being who's finding rest in God knows not only that God is present, but that God has a plan, and that plan has a pathway. Mary asks a salient question. How's this gonna happen? I'm a virgin. How's this gonna work? There is a biological prerequisite that I have not met. How's this gonna happen? Gabriel tells her how it's gonna happen. God has a way of working it out. It sounds impossible. Biologically, it's impossible. But incidentally, Mary, your relative Elizabeth, you know, she's barren, been struggling with infertility her whole life, hasn't been able to have a kid. All she's ever wanted was a kid. Now she's reached the point where she's probably too old to have a kid. Yeah, she's getting ready to go into her third trimester. Why? Because what we call impossible In God's economy, no problem at all. So is it possible that Mary, who had not yet known a man, without having known a man, could bear the Son of God? Yeah, why? Because if God has a plan, he also has a path to make it happen. And he is not hindered by any law that we observe. He's not hindered by physics. He's not hindered by biology. He can do whatever he wants. Why? He's God. What does Mary do? She trusts that not only does he have a plan, but he has a pathway to fulfill that plan. And even if that pathway passes through the impossible, that's no problem for God. Now it would be a problem for us. It would be a major problem for us but it's not a problem at all for God. So how does Mary respond? Well, the last verse in this passage, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Our fourth and final point is this. The heart of a godly mother submits to God's providence. The heart of a godly mother submits to God's providence, and the heart of a godly human submits to God's providence. What is providence? It's the foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. This one sentence reveals more about Mary's character and Mary's faith than the rest of the passage combined. Because I promise you, there in Nazareth, in her childhood home with Gabriel, who's visited previously with Daniel, speaking to her, she can't wrap her mind around this. She can't understand this. There's no way. But how does she bring the conversation to a conclusion? By saying this, behold, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, Mary's heart was committed to say yes to God before God ever asked the question. Mary's heart was committed to say yes to God 
even though she couldn't understand how it would all work out. Mary's heart was committed to say yes to God, even when the pathway made no sense at all. And now, for me and 41 of my closest friends, having gone to the Holy Land and been to the Church of the Annunciation, where Gabriel visited Mary in Nazareth, and having been to the Church of the Nativity, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and having been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where God's calling on her life would lead her to be there in the toughest moment she ever had to live, but then seeing the joy of the resurrection that came next. I'm thankful for Mary, for her faithfulness to God is a blessing to all of us. I'm thankful for godly moms who understand like Mary what it is to rest in Almighty God and to trust and follow Him even when it doesn't make sense. I pray the same would be said of all of us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.